Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. Here at Evolution Recruitment NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to build trust and develop deep relationships with individuals to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by creating and sharing into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I'm Katia and I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policy of their organisation. So, welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, everyone. I am joined here today by the Enterprise Architecture team from University Hospitals Birmingham. And today we are going to take a deep dive into the reasons behind their formation and we'll get some insight into how and why they set up uh, this team and why it's proven successful to the trust. So let's kick off with some introductions. Jim, you are next to me, so go for it. Okay, uh, I'm Jim Williams. I'm one of the enterprise architects in the UHBEA team. Uh, my background is from software development. Um, I've got 30 plus years of uh, being a software developer and running software development teams for numerous organisations outside of the NHS. Uh, I've only been in the NHS 14 years. Um, it's quite a long time, actually. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, uh, before that, I spent time with software houses from the likes of IBM and Microsoft and some uh, specialised in the brewing industry with other software consultancies and the food industry. Um, worked worked in lots of different uh, areas, been lucky enough to work you know, around the world as well. Um, and I came into the into UHB 14 years ago as head of software development, which I spent 10 years doing. And then recently, I've spent a lot of time out with the ICSs, local ICSs, um, building the shared care record for the West Midlands. Fab, thank you so much, Richard. Hi, Richard Paskin, also a member of the EA team. My focus is on things to do with uh, security. My background is around systems development. I've been doing it for quite a number of years. Uh, Prior to the NHS, it was with various utilities companies, and I've taken the role of uh, originally programmer, uh, development team lead, uh, business analyst, and test manager at UHB. And uh, yeah, it's uh, now about 13 years for me at the NHS, and I'm actually a returning because my first experience of working at the NHS in, around, in and around IT was as a student placement back in the 80s. Love it. Brilliant. Thank you. And Didier? Yeah, uh, I'm uh, Didier Mate, also part of the Enterprise Architect team. Uh, I've been in the IT industry for about 30 years, of which 25 years in the NHS. Uh, before joining the NHS, I was uh, working in Belgium in the support company. Uh, my focus before the NHS and during my time in the NHS so far has been on infrastructure which is mainly about uh, the servers, the networking, the routers, the switches, and, and, and so on. Um, that's it for me. Yep. Perfect. Thank you. Scott? Yep. So my name's Scott Lewis, and I'm a business architect. Um, I've got over 20 years NHS experience, having done many operational roles originally, um, but the bulk of my time has been in IT services. So before becoming a business architect and a member of the EA team, I've done five years as a business change analyst. That was my previous role. Um, so my role in this team is to try and bridge the gap between the organization's business strategy and the technical implementation. 
um, almost like a, a translator between the business world and the tech world. So uh, the difference between a business architect and business analyst is that the business architect needs to think more strategically. Uh, and that's something that I've been working on over the past year. Yep, so that's me. Amazing. Thank you so much. And finally, Jonathan. Thanks. I'm, I'm Jonathan Daniels. I'm also Enterprise Architect, Architect in the EA team. Um, I've been in the NHS for about 30 years. Um, about 25 years of that has been within the IT area. I've worked um, through various organizational mergers. I've been involved in software development, IT transformation, data migration. Um, my most recent role prior to the EA team was managing a large team of developers and DBAs and integration specialists. Um, I did that for about four or five years. Thoroughly enjoyed that work um, before moving into the EA team where I hope I can have a, a more strategic influence on the trust direction. Perfect. Right then, we're all introduced. So should we get into some questions? So the first one I've got here is for you, Jim, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, why did UHB execs decide to form an EA team and what benefits did they foresee? Um, it was probably about two years ago when our previous um, uh, chief digital officer spoke, first spoke to me about um, the enterprise architecture team and his thoughts around it. Uh, at the time I was working out, as I say, on the ICS um, so it was about coming back into UHB and being part of the team that now exists. Um, and it took a, a, their, their, their thoughts because it was also the previous C, uh, interim CTO, uh, Benjamin, as well, who um, was looking at it. And their, their thoughts around it were all uh, because we'd, we'd grown through a merger into quite an extensive, you know, large organisation, one of the largest trusts in the country. Um, and every every single trust in the country will have the same the same thing that we, we had as individual trusts, and that is that things have just happened. IT's grown, it's morphed, it's, it's gone from a little bit to a large thing, um, and applications have been bought in by random people, to be quite honest, in, in some of ours, and like the specialties have bought their own their own applications in to help them out and uh, have gone their own direction in some ways. And IT, it was I, I think their 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 look was we've got duplication of effort, we've got duplication of contracts, we've got duplication of lots of things within the IT. Now we've merged these two big trusts into a into a really large one. Um, so it was sort of you know that prolifer proliferation. Site of the, of those solutions across the across the trust, um, so we've we've wanted to be able to create that long term vision of the organisation as well. We wanted to be able to look at all those all those applications that are out there. And when I when I say I've, you know we've merged a lot of applications, I mean Scott can give more information on this in you know in his section in a while. Um, we looked at, I think the number was somewhere around the 14,000, you know, when we had a, a, the original spreadsheet of applications we got out there. And that's everything. That's not, you know, that is everything within IT and in within services. Um, it's something like 14,000. And we got to look at how we could merge that and, and try and bring those numbers down. And also, so a lot of them shouldn't have actually been on because it was no, but it was open to allow people to install applications, so we had to lock that down. So that was part of what we were looking at as well. Um, but it, I think what they wanted to do was have that control, bring that control into the into the IT, um, align the technology with the organisation's business goals, 
uh, provide advice and guidance, which is a lot of what we do um, to departments and to ensure that, you know, the technology is secure and up to date and we're doing the right thing. Uh, and I think we all, we all know that IT within the NHS has, across the country has been a little bit open and a little bit, um, because we're all individual organisations, we can bring in what we want. So it was about trying to understand that and bring that together. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a complex landscape um, and we tr- we've put in, well, we're trying to put in some controls around those solutions as a whole, which I think we have we have done. Um, and again, Scott can touch on that in a while. Um, so it was, I think, the, I think the rest of it was around, they, they could see the benefit of having us as a team being able to give that advice and guidance. Now everything comes through us. Um, and we, we we hand out sort of a summary, an architectural summary of where we think these projects are and what needs to happen next. And I think that was where they were hoping to see those benefits come from. Controlling software and being advice and guidance uh, from a, a strategic uh, view. Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Jonathan, I'm going to come to you next to ask about um, how was the EA team built and what is its remit? So I think Jim briefly touched on it. I mean, we, in our introduction, you probably understood that we've all come from different backgrounds. We're all previously members of the Trust. We all worked in IT. We're all familiar with each other's work, but we haven't worked closely together before. I think as part of the sort of interim management and the work that was done by an interim CTO, there was this recognition that we would benefit in bringing people with long expertise working in IT together to help give some strategic direction to the way the Trust planned its, its IT and implemented its IT. So as, as we had in the introductions, we all come from different backgrounds, Jim and myself from primarily a software development background, similarly to some extent with, with Richard, but also with a security slant on it. Didier with his infrastructure expertise and Scott with his um, business process understanding. And it was really important to bring all of those dimensions and domains together. Um, as an enterprise architecture team, we need to make sure we cover all of the different facets of the organization in terms of how it plans and delivers its IT. So I think in, in terms of where we came from, we were, I suppose, in terms of experience, amongst the most experienced and, and long-serving members of the, of the department. So it made sense to bring us together. It was quite difficult at first. We all transitioned from the existing roles. I did leave some gaps in the organization, but I think that we're starting to now see the benefits of bringing that team together. And in terms of remit, um, we provide an oversight role. You know, our, our, our main role is to make sure the organization makes good decisions in terms of how it spends money on IT and its, its investments in IT make sure we realise the benefits of that investment. So we do that through various contributions to things like planning, through contributing to the design of, of systems, providing oversight during the, the delivery phases to make sure that when we set out to implement a system in a particular way, we follow up and make sure we did actually achieve all of those objectives. So part of doing that is to make sure we understand what we have in the organisation. Um, we've done a, a lot of mapping over the last year or so to understand what applications, what technology we have in the organization and how that interacts. So part of our role is to create a repository where we capture all those relationships and pieces of technology applications so that we can then present back to the organization a very rich picture of what what technology we have, how it impacts on processes, how it impacts on on people's roles and so on. And that gives us the ability then to to plan those future changes and to make sure we again deliver that sort of benefit, that, that technology realization. Brilliant. Thank you so much. 
Um, and Didier, what methodology does the EA team work to and, and why? Yeah, so I think the, the principle of simplicity around the use of technology and data flows to support various business processes is quite important as it benefits the, efficient, the efficiency of the working of, of an organization while minimizing the cost, the running cost of the related technology. Now, I think this is best achieved by having a, a consistent approach when defining or architecting solutions. And for this, we rely on the enterprise architecture framework called TOGOV, which has long been seen as one of the main industry uh, standard of, uh, methodologies for enterprise architecture. Uh, we all have been trained uh, in the use of TOGOV and um, the core of TOGOV, uh, of, the, of the TOGOV methodology is the architecture development method which uh, consists of a number of iterative uh, phases for developing various architectures at business layer, data layer, application layer, and technology layer. The concept of having um, the, these iterative phases is an important one, as it will allow the fine-tuning and, and adjusting of the various architecture layers during the development of a solution in order to meet the overall business objectives. Now. When developing new solutions um, or updating existing ones, there is a need to have a very good understanding of the various systems and services that are already in place, what their capabilities are, and how they interact with each other. And to capture that, informa that information, uh, the Trust has invested in uh, the Enterprise Architect tool called Orpus Infinity, which used to be known as uh, iServer365. Um, the two that tool allows us to visualize the architectures of the various services systems in use, uh, which can include various documentation or information about the system, like diagrams, process flows, and so on. And in addition to that, uh, it is able to produce various uh, rich uh, reports, including those that support, for instance, the roadmap planning and application uh, rationalization, for instance, by mapping the applications of capabilities uh, as well as mapping the applications to end-of-life support, end-of-contract dates, and so on. And uh, so the key thing, the, the, the methodology we use is based on the TOGAF, and we capture all the information in the, our, our tool called Orbis Infinity. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, Scott, I'm going to come to you next. So I believe you guys have been really established properly from last February. So um, in the first year, the EA team have been operating at UHB. Has there been any notable benefits? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's good to go through some of the things that we've done throughout the past year. I mean, this time last year, I think we started to work up our procedures and policies and processes. Uh, one of the first things we did, we did was to develop a set of architecture principles, which are a set of guidelines, rules and practices that define how an architecture is designed, built and maintained. Um, they act as a foundation for making decisions about technology choices, system integrations, and overall structure, really. Um, we've also formed an architectural authority that is designed to be a governance body and responsible for overseeing the IT architecture strategy and decision-making process. <clears throat> it's not just us that attend that group, so we've got other representation from areas such as security and IG, uh, and, and there are others that attend as well. Um, over the year, we've produced several strategic documents that, that all feature uh, almost as a reference to the overarching IT strategy. 
um, such as cloud adoption, data archiving, and low-code development. That's just to name a few. Um, we play a pivotal role in the IT, IT software approval process, and this is what Jim was referring to earlier in terms of software that's installed on our network. Um, when we first got the extracts of how many pieces of software they installed, like, like Jim said, it was over 14,000. It was a little bit daunting when our, our CTO came to us and said, I want you to review them all. Um, so we've done that. We've actually managed to achieve that this year. And any new requests for new software, they all go through this process. Uh, and essentially, we evaluate new pieces of software or new requests before they get approved. And in some cases, if something comes through, it supports rationalization. So having gone through that exercise of, of reviewing 14,000 software titles, we kind of know what the capabilities of some of those software titles are. So if a new one comes in asking us to do something that we know that we've got a software title that already provides that, we can rationalize by saying, well, we don't need another one, utilize the one that we've already got. So um, as Didier mentioned, we use Orbis Infinity, which is a, our architecture repository. Um, that's a centralized repository of the information about applications, technologies, process, and data flows. And it provides a holistic view of the current state. Um, it also allows us to record relationships and dependencies between different components, which helps us understand the overall architecture. Um, and there we've currently captured over 2,000 physical technology components. DDA has worked very hard on that. Uh, and over 700 physical application components. Now, we, we do know this tool is very powerful and we're only really scratching the surface this year. Um, and I think having discussed it to the team before Christmas, this is one of our main focuses this year um, to capture as much of that information. So we've got that holistic view of our architecture. Um, finally, really, we work closely with the IT PMO to support um, with IT requests, project requests. Um, as a team, we cover off the core TOGAF domains, which are business data, application and technology. Um, so to summarize, we act as a strategic partner within the organization, guiding technology investments, mitigating risks and ensuring IT initiatives deliver maximum value to the organization. From a LIMS perspective, we were tasked with trying to capture all the information around the interfaces. Those are the direct interfaces from analyzers to the LIMS um, and other interfaces that go via middleware. So at the time, we had some knowledge within the team of, of what LIMS actually is and what it does. In terms of integrations, we, we weren't in a place where we could produce any, anything of any use. Um, so what we did as a team is we, we initially went for a walk around in one of the limbs, uh, one of the laboratories. In fact, we started with the, the one at QE Hospital, reviewed all the technology that's in there, and we captured that in Orbis Infinity. We, had, we got a much better understanding then of all the interfaces, um, and we captured that in Orbis Infinity. And like I said earlier, in terms of like, establishing relationships in there. It allows us to produce some really sophisticated documents and, and visualizations. So what we've been able to do now is capture all of the integrations, all of the physical technology that integrate with our, limb, our existing LIM solution. So we've got all that as is architecture recorded in our repository, and it's a good starting point for them to then determine what the future architecture is going to be when they're going to replace the LIMs in the next oh, few years. And we were able to do that with having a part of TOGAF is being able to go, this is what to be is, yeah. and this is what as is is. Yeah. Uh, and so we were able to do that with multiple diagrams to go, this is how it looks at the moment, but actually by merging those two those two pieces of middleware, this is what it could look like yeah. you know, in the future when we go live with the new limbs. Yeah, I think TOGAF was really useful because um, 
without doing the TOGAF, it's very difficult to know where to start. And like TOGAF's a methodology. So having done the TOGAF course, we understand that capturing the Aziz is really important before you know where you're going in the future. So that's exactly the approach we, we took with LIMS. I think it's also important to understand that we started off very ambitious in terms of how we were going to implement TOGAF. I think at the, at the very start, we'd all had our training, we are fresh out of our training. And TOGAF as a methodology is very rich in terms of things that you should do to do good architecture. And I think what we realised early on is perhaps the organisation wasn't quite ready for that level of kind of rigour at the start. And I think over the, over the year, we kind of finessed our approach. So we, we have a much more pragmatic approach to how we approach architecture reviews now. And I think we've kind of, we have a, a very good synergy now with the, the PMO, as Scott mentioned earlier, that we support their process by providing just enough information, but should more information be needed, we can do a sort of iterative approach as DDA described. So it's really the level of detail that's required for the next step is, is what we try to provide. And we're actually coming to this point of having been running for a year where we've, we, we talked earlier, you know, I think it was last week or earlier this week, um, Let's take a let's take a, a sort of a, a breather and look at our processes and just review how is the year gone and do we need to tweak anything? I think it's as John has said, I think it's been working great and we're we're going in the right direction and our architecture summary documents that we 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 you know sort of provide are really really good and they give the information back to the PMO that they require. But we just we just are going to sit down over the next couple of weeks and and look at is there anything that we did that we don't need to do anymore and you know if we learned something from it and can actually we we change things to make our life easier in the way that we do stuff and because it, there's so much to do within that within the enterprise architecture world within UHB it's a massive ask to actually build the diagram of the whole of UHB's IT and applications and the hardware and how they all interact, that we, we just need to have a look at that. And I think that's where we are at now is just that we've done this for a year. We've really in a really good position. Is there anything that we've learned from it? And so we've got to take that, that, that step over the next couple of weeks. I think it'd be good to do like a follow-up episode, lessons learned, you know, yeah. where are you at in the next six months, 12 months? Um, no, I think that'd be interesting to do. Uh, a second. Our processes have changed dramatically in a year. Yeah. They're always being tweaked. So yeah. if you looked at what we set out to do at the start of the year and actually what we do now, it's changed dramatically over time. So we're a new team and yeah. that I, I, can't, I, I can't sit here and say that we've got all the answers. Um, and we're on a massive learning learning curve ourselves. So, and I think we, like John said, we started because we all we'd all got TOGAF, and yeah. we all thought hey, this TOGAF follow will fit perfectly. Follow, <laughs> follow, follow it and run like that. And actually, we we went that's not working really that well. And uh, we we sort of repeating ourselves in the document, yeah. and we adding too much in. Is there any value to it? Um, and it might come back. Those things may come back as we learn, as we go over through the years. But at this moment in time, I think what we've done, you know, Scott's done a lot of work around the flows, and you know, we've we've talked at Scott about how we think things should go, and he's diagrammed them up, and and then we've gone, oh yeah, actually tweak that bit there, and uh, and I think we've got the the right processes and procedures now um, that make it comfortable. We're just going to have a look at some other parts of those processes, you know, the. The, the inputs and the outputs and just make sure that everything's um, fine on those then. When did you all do the course? 
2022, I think me and you did it. I think, Jim, you were at... I was, I did it in 2019, I did it. I think it's one thing that when you actually have the training, the telegraph that the the tutor sets out is that you need to make sure you you kind of set your ambition and your expectations at what the organisation can cope with. So, for example, we describe ourselves as enterprise architects, but actually we don't really cover the whole of the UHB enterprise. We're Mm -hmm. part of the organisation that we don't get involved in at the moment. And that's not to say we won't in future, but I think if you set your ambitions too high, you'll almost certainly set yourselves up to fail. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, realistic is. I totally agree. I'd like to add, as the, as the person who would join the team, the last person to join the team, as it is at the moment, is uh, you, you ask the question about why and the investment that's being made. And actually, it's answered quite simply, if you don't have an enterprise architecture function, then somebody somewhere is going to be asked how their system that they're really focused on works with other systems and that's not really their thing they're, they're going to be asked to step outside of their their remit to suddenly answer questions about well how does limbs interface <coughs> to something else yeah. so if you take the function away you can see that you can see why it exists i think one of the things uh, from your area as well uh rich the the security area a few years ago when we had log4j and everybody panicked in the nhs around log4j and what systems have got log4j we're trying to build that into into you know Orbus uh, with with a, what what applications use what. So if somebody said, oh, there's a real problem now, we all need to understand Apache Tomcat and this version. We can go to a version of Apache Tomcat and it's not complete, but you know we can actually go and see that there's a, the, if we remove that version of Tomcat, what will the impact be? And we, that's where we we're trying to build. Um, on a daily basis, but you know, trying to build out all these so that we know this bit of software. If we change that, or if we have to, we've got legacy servers. When we when we get rid of that legacy server, the impact is going to be though, to those five applications. So we need to work with those services to be able to let them know that their application is going to have to be moved to a new server. And it's it rather than relying on the on everything's locked away in our brains and lots of other people in IT's brains. We're trying to get it into an application so anybody can go, what happens if we need to do that? What happened? What's the impact to the trust? Um, and that's part of our remit, to, you know, as well, as Rich was sort of explaining. Definitely our focus this year, I think, because those relationships and dependencies, they're only that information is only as good as what you put into the application. Yeah. We, we need to focus on that, get rich data in there so we can get information out. And at the minute, I think probably we balance a little bit more on the IT project requests coming the new stuff. And we're not really focusing on capturing the ASIS architecture to be able to make some of those informed decisions. It's keeping it up to date as well. And that's where we've tried to put the, the so everything comes through our help desk system. So we're trying to say that everything that goes through the help desk system, you know, is going to come via, via us at some point in time to understand that we can now keep all of us up to date because as soon as it becomes out of, out of date, then we you know we're we're not really giving the good the service that we want to be able to give. We're answering the wrong, we're giving the wrong answer to the right questions if mm-hmm. we haven't got the data in there. So that's a big that's a big thing that we need to tighten up on and we need to get better better at. But that's a year into this, I think we're we're at a, a really good point. Yeah, and it goes back to what you were saying about lessons learned and yeah. and tweaks. Sorry, did you? Yeah, it's, it's the, the change uh, process itself. Uh, we have to be linked in very closely to 
understand the changes that are being made mm. so we can keep indeed our repository up to date uh, to support future. And we're actually automating some of that with Power Platform, you know, to to control that. So when a change comes, when a change comes in, we get notified of the change, and we have to go in and approve the change along with other teams as well. You know, it's not just all down to us, but approve the change um, with the other teams. But it means that we can see what it is, we can understand whether there's an impact to what we've got already, or actually is that something we didn't know about, and we need to get that mapped out in Orbis. So that you know, it's it, it's evolving on a daily basis, so we know the way that we we work in. So you know, it's it's going it's going in the right direction. Yeah. Then should we get on to some uh, cyber? Exciting bit, Irish. So Richard, I'll come to you then, considering you're the security architect on the team. So um, I've got a question here. So what is the difference between cybersecurity and information security? So this is a good way to to put the context of why I'm in the team. And if you think back to five, six years ago, when I first started this job, um, information security was what we talked about. And it was about things like, you know, have you got some kind of access control on a system and you're running some anti-malware somewhere? And that was kind of it because we, we lived in this world where the perimeter would defend us from everything. And then there were these occasional requests where somebody said, oh, I need to connect this to the outside world. And there's a bit of a hullabaloo about it and decisions weren't perhaps the best because it was kind of feeling a bit awkward and a bit new and things like that. So the difference is information security generally talked about things that were in your organisation and ISO 27001 covers that off. The NHS's DSPT covers that off well, but it was quite inward looking. Now everybody wants to move to a digital world. And the digital world means that everything wants to connect to everywhere else and your perimeter is not what it used to be because every new system pretty much has got some kind of outward connection or or perhaps even in connecting from the outside world in. So we need to make sure that we're doing that very, very well because there are people, there are professionals out there, people pay to sit at, to sit at a desk with a computer to attack you for money or for some other kind of gain. So cybersecurity is now part of everything, even point of care equipment that maybe in the past would have been seen as well. You know, that's kind of excluded. That's not that's not relevant, is it? But there's, there could well be a manufacturer who wants to connect in to do some maintenance on it or read some data from it. So the world is now massively connected. And yeah, so cybersecurity is a consideration and best done early. Brilliant. Um, why have someone with a cybersecurity background in an enterprise architecture team? Well, you've heard you've heard the rest of the team talk about TOGAF, and I too have done TOGAF training. The surprise was in day one, hour one, session one, it, it said, if you're interested in security, you better go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of the training was was valuable because really what you want to do is you want to use the information that's gathered in those repositories and and use all that lovely knowledge to inform what you want to do with cybersecurity. I mean, there are other frameworks that fit in instead, but really the reason for me being in the team is I'm looking out for the cybersecurity angle on what's going on, what's, what requests are coming in, how they, how they, what, what security features they're presenting from day one. So it's really, if we, there used to be a phrase that was banded around probably 10 years ago called shift left, and that's fallen from 
from grace, but it really just means think about quality things as early as you can. And I mean, I did a little bit of looking up recently to, to answer a question and I found it goes all the way back to the 1950s, this idea is if you want to make quality products, you build quality aspects in from as early as possible. And security is just a quality aspect of the system. Nobody wants, secu nobody wants security in its own right. It's just an attribute of the system that's been changed or implemented. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm in the team. But isn't part of that as well, Rich, if you think about the software, all the software approvals that come through to us, you're there. We look at them and we, you know, from a, what's it going to do? What's that new piece of software that's yeah. coming into the trust? What's it there for from a business point of view? What technology is underneath it? You know, and what's is it? Is it a good solution to have in the trust? But we all we all come to you and go, Rich. Could you just um, could you just have a look at this pen test report that they've sent us? They haven't got a completed DTAC, so could you speak to them about the DCBs and all that? So oh, absolutely, that side of it's, it's still a, it's still a fairly uh, it's not a well understood area. So yeah, you need to go talk to some people. You need to go and find out. You need to impress upon some suppliers. That you know, there's uh, there's some more that they could do. You know, that I can I can help them through some of the some of our process by explaining some of the reasons why we want it and what form we think it should take. The kind of things we expect to be in there. Yeah, sure, pen tests. Yeah, there's there's now uh, more of a a, a a tradition of people presenting your pen test information, whereas you used to have to fight for it. People now understand that's a that's a necessary part of the game, and yeah. Sure, people present a, a summary report and you need to make a, a judgment as to whether that looks like it was a good process. Is this something that we can rely on or do we need to dig deeper? And you're in a threat modelling meeting on, on Friday yeah. um, for uh, an AI thing that we're looking at for our part about PAX solution. Um, so that's something else that you, you you do for us. It is, yeah. Back to the, back to the kind of early engagement thing is threat modelling is a process where you look for uh, potential weaknesses in what's been been uh, presented, and you really ju it's it's a paper exercise. I mean, there are some tools to support it, but you don't need them. You can you can just scribble some diagrams like you always used to on a whiteboard. You do some boxes and some 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 lines and some circles and things like that, and you can you can ask basic questions of that architecture. And that's one reason why it fits in with this is that if you've got an architecture repository and you need to look at the the, the threat potential in an existing system we can retrieve that from a repository and, and apply that process the process is just basically asking some sim fairly simple questions of that architecture and saying for example could you pretend to be one of your valid users of that system is there some way that you can leverage something to, to pretend to be something else or can you mess with the data that's flowing between two components is there any way that you can do that? If so, then obviously we've got a weakness and we need to work out whether that is a significant weakness and how we could address it. And that's the threat modelling process. Brilliant, thank you. And what are the high-level cybersecurity aspects of an architecture? Okay, so really Scott did a nice job earlier by talking about the principles. And the NCSC have got a great website that explains, sorry, that lays out um, a set of, security principles. So what we've got is we've actually distilled that down into just one principle within our tool set that says systems should be secure because that's the top level. We want to deploy secure systems. 
but below that there are some supporting principles that you can dig into and that that's the inspiration for a lot of discussion that we have around cybersecurity with the product suppliers. So I'm not going to try and I couldn't recall all 14 principles, but <laughs> they are there for anybody to call on, and that's what we do on a daily basis. We'll put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and where does the cybersecurity involvement begin and end in terms of the system delivery process? And uh, is it just at the start? Thank you, because it's not just at the start. Now, I mean, I've talked a lot about the early engagement because that's obviously, you know, there's lots of theory out there you can look up. That's that's the most efficient thing you can do is getting engaged at the start. But in that, this is where TOGA fits in as well, which is we start at the start of a project being engaged, but then when it gets into, uh, say, late stage build or deployment phases, it's like, well, what, what architecture environment do you need there? Well, it's more about the oversight angle, which is about saying, well, this is what everybody planned to do. This is what we all spent a lot of time discussing. These are the security principles that we think we've uncovered and ticked off along the way. But actually, is that what's been done? So, no, we should we should be checking back in on a project lesser to a lesser degree as the project proceeds. But, you know, all the way to the deployment. Brilliant. Thanks to everyone. Um, Jim, I'm going to come to you now for the last question. So what would be your advice to other trusts perhaps thinking about forming a similar theme? Um, I think I'd say do it. Um, as you can see from or hear from the, the five of us, um, you know, we're quite passionate about where, what we've been challenged to do. Uh, I think there's benefits there. Scott talked about them. Richard's just talked about them. And, you know, so did John and Didier from their, their side of things. Um, and I think that there are benefits. One thing I would say is if you're going to set up an EA team, um, actually look in, look at your look internally, look at the people who've got a lot of experience because um, with with the other staff within your trust, um, it's been really beneficial for us. So some of us came from the original heft organization and some of us were from the QE organization when the merger happened, which means that we cover we cover the whole of the you know the the combined trust now and we've got that internal knowledge, we've got those relationships that are really helping us to be able to build out what it looks like. So I'd definitely say look look internally, um, you know, to to try and you know utilize some of that um, that that experience. Ensure you've got an exec backing you. Um, because I think having having that exec backing is really important um, to to it's a new thing and a lot of people don't understand what an enterprise architecture team um, is there for and what they what they do. So having an exec backing and having um, John did us a, a presentation uh, earlier this year, I think it was John for one of the execs. And it was what do what do we do and what benefits you know what we're talking about now really but in a in three or four sl slides um, and being able to sell that, sell what we're here for um, out to the rest of the trust is really important so I'd, I'd say look at that obviously the guys uh, guys and and pe uh, you know uh, people who are going to come into the team look at the the TOGAF training as well um, it's it's not massively expensive. Um, for me, being being you know one of the oldest in the team, it was really difficult. I found the exam was really difficult. 
um, because I hadn't done anything for about 30 years, any exams or anything. So it was going back to school and having to do exams. But the actual benefit of doing that and, and going through the training um, solidified a lot of a lot of thinking that we'd already got. Um, but I think that's really important. Um, and before you before you you know you you get up and up and running and open the open the shop basically, get your policies and procedures as Scott was touching on you know and Scott did you know we sort of fed into Scott he did a lot around that um, and get those policies and procedures and the way that you want the team to run. And I think as John said earlier, we've. We did stuff because we were all we were all togaf and we were going to do it all this way and it was going to be fantastic and then we've learned as we've gone along. So I think that's a, that's what I'd say to people is what we've talked about is exactly what you need to think about, but do it. Do it because the benefits are definitely there. I'd like to add to that yeah. from a security specific point of view, is there is a national strategy from the Department of Health and Social Care and it talks about things like being secure by design and default. That's picking up on another piece of work that's global. There are 20-odd yeah. governments that have got together and said, you know what, you can't just keep building things and or buying things. You need to make sure they're, they're, they're secure by design and default. There's the NCSC Cyber Insurance Framework that will be added into the, the Data Protection Security Toolkit. Next year, my question would be, if you haven't got an EA function, it was, where are you going to do that? How, how are you going to achieve that? Who are you going to look to to go, yeah, we are now being secure by design and by default? I think it's bringing that, bringing that the EA team brings a lot of, a lot of di- as we've just proven, brings a lot of different background and experiences in here that we then, if we're involved in everything, we've got that, that oversight and that, that you know, you, you now told us about, you know, what's going to happen this year. That's something that's great that we've that the EA team can now take forward um, and and hopefully implement it as things come through to us. So, as I said, I, I would and I think everybody would would agree with me is just do it because we found it really beneficial and I think the trust have found it very beneficial. Has anyone got anything else to add? Opportunities. I think that we've talked about a lot about projects that are coming our way. I think that in the future, our aspirations that we um, look for opportunities as well. Yeah. From a team of people that work at this level to say there's something out there that we think could be of great benefit to the trust. But in terms of horizon scanning, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, in terms of where the organization goes from the future technology, there's lots of emerging areas. So, AI, at the moment, we have some sort of small inroads into use of AI within the NHS, within UHB. But certainly that's been a feature much more prominently as time moves on. We need to do that in a way that's secure and safe and make sure we get the benefits from that without experiencing the risks and problems. So there's lots of areas like that, but certainly a lot of our, our future work is going to be around on helping the trust choose the direction he wants to go in terms of its future technology investment. Um, so I think this, which has those opportunities and understanding how we get the benefits from it has been really important. I think you've used the word future, and it's about fu- we're here to future proof as well. You know, there have been, we've had discussions only in the last week where um, the, the, the input to it wasn't the best input to it from people who, d- who didn't really understand the future. And we tr- we've been put in place to actually try to fu- make sure we future proof the organisation. 
um, that we don't make decisions now that we're going to regret later, hopefully, or we don't, we're not making short-term expensive decisions. We're making the right decision, you know, for the long term. Mm-hmm. Getting it right first time, I guess. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Hopefully that's what we're... That's why we're not going to be perfect. I don't think any of us, are, you know, adapt enough to think that, we, that this is going to be perfect every single time. But I think we've we've done some. We've got we we can, we've got tangible benefits definitely from going. Hold on, that's probably what we need to do is we need to do it a different way. No, you can't have that piece of software because we've already got it. So there's a license we've saved. So that you know there is a, there is some of that cost saving as well. Uh, that comes with all of that. It's about having a team isn't it, that's got the, the time and the capacity and the purpose to help trust review things and, and make their decisions because I think typically <coughs> in an organisation of this size in, in the NHS certainly most of these decisions don't get reviewed extensively from all the different sort of domains and aspects that we, we're considering now. So I think by having a team that's its purpose is to do that I think it means that we should make better decisions and that that's, can only be good for the future of the organisation and, and the technology investment it makes. Yeah, I think the, the number of ways you can provide a solution by having it going through a single team, there's consistency and that simplifies everything mm-hmm. and that just benefits everyone. There's a lot of technology out there. There's a lot, there's a lot of technology out there. And a leaf blower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether that will be picked up on there, but yeah, apologies. <laughs> apologies if it is. Um, but is there any other final thoughts to conclude? No. No, I think so. No. Yeah. Well, I think you've all demonstrated the value of um, of setting up a team like this. And as Jim says, do it. <laughs> for anyone yeah. listening, just do it. Thanks yeah. for giving us a chance to sell it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Cheers. Brilliant. Thank you.